Well, uh, a truth that we all need to affirm is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Amen? It's a truth that we not only confess on Easter, it's one that we affirm every day and should preach to ourselves every day, but especially today of all days. Um, the reality is, is the resurrection is important on every day. And it is important especially as uh, one day we will all stand on the edge of the canyon of death. Uh, this is how Pastor, Mark, uh, Pastor Max Lucado speaks of it. This is what he says. The canyon of death. It's a desolate canyon. The dry ground is cracked and lifeless. A blistering sun heats the wind that moans eerily and stings mercilessly. Tears burn. Words come slowly as visitors to the canyon are forced to stare into the ravine. The bottom of the crevice is invisible, the other side unreachable. You can't help but wonder what's hidden in the darkness, and you can't help but long to leave. You see, if God is God anywhere, He has to be God in the face of death. Pop psychology can deal with depression. Pep talks can deal with pessimism. Prosperity can handle hunger. But only God can deal with the ultimate dilemma, death. And only the God of the Bible has dared to stand on the canyon's edge and offer an answer. He has to be God in the face of death. If not, He is not God anywhere. That's the reality. That's the reality of the death that one day you will approach. And that I will approach. I've mentioned before that biologically from about uh, age 27 on, you are dying as a human being. You're in decline. But we are here on this Resurrection Sunday to proclaim and remind ourselves of the truth that God is indeed God in the face of death. He is the victor who defeated it through Christ. He is the one who will defeat it for all of us for all time in the day to come. And so I want to turn with you to the Scriptures, uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 26, and proclaim the truth that God is God, the victor over death. So if you have your Bible and you're able to stand, if you would stand with me as I read, this is what the Word of God says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that all of the enemies of God will one day be destroyed, even the last enemy, death. 
will itself, as we sang, be put to death. Father, we rejoice in that. Help us to proclaim the truth to ourselves until our heart sings with the glory of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I love the way verse 20 begins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I don't want to miss any of its power to encourage us here this morning. So let me quickly highlight for us why it begins the way it does. If you're not familiar with your Bible, uh, this, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And Corinth uh, was, uh, like many other cities in ancient Greece, it was influenced by Greek philosophical ideas, very much similar to modern-day Buddhism or modern-day Hinduism, that said that the body was evil and what you needed to do to, uh, was to somehow escape from your body. And so the idea of a bodily resurrection was something that they scorned. They, they're like, who would want to raise the body? There is no resurrection of the body. The body is the thing we're trying to get rid of. But, influenced by those, those Hindu or Greek or pantheistic whatever label you want to put to it, pantheistic ideas that the body is an evil thing to be gotten rid of and that the, the reality that you want to live in is just the spirit realms. Uh, some of the members of the church at Corinth that started teaching that there is no such thing as a bodily resurrection. And so Paul has spent 19 verses in the earlier part of this chapter explaining, no, no, it's really important that there is a bodily resurrection because if Christ has not been raised, there's no resurrection. That means Jesus hasn't been raised. And if Jesus hasn't been raised, then we have no hope beyond this life. If Jesus has not been raised, you're still in your sins. If Jesus has not been raised, then Christians who have already died have perished. And our faith is foolish and pitiful because it has no answers to give to the hope of eternal life. And so we come to the verse, to verse 20 here and it's, it has a proclamation that the resurrection of Jesus is true. The resurrection of Jesus is true. By the way, how does Paul know? Well, Paul is eek among the apostles of Jesus. All the other apostles of Jesus witnessed Jesus' ministry and saw His resurrection as supporters. They were fans. They were followers. They were guys who who were called into relationship with Jesus and walked with Him uh, as supporters. Paul was different from all of those guys. He witnessed Jesus' ministry not as a supporter, but as an opponent. And after Jesus uh, died and was raised, Paul did his utmost to stamp out every trace of Christianity, even going to foreign cities to get people arrested and imprisoned for the sake of the fact that they were proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead. And as he was on his way to do this up to the city of Damascus in modern-day Syria, Paul saw the resurrected Jesus. And all of a sudden, he was transformed from a persecutor into a preacher of the same Jesus and the same faith that he tried to destroy. How did Paul know that Jesus was raised from the dead? Because he saw him raised from the dead. And he was convinced. That the resurrection is in fact true. But beyond that, 
Here's the, re, here's the historical reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is not simply an event that we must take on faith. Well, nobody knows for sure if that really happened. Here's the reality. Jesus really did die. He really was raised. Uh, he appeared in a, what, it, what the Gospels record and the, the rest of the Scriptures record as 11 different appearances after His crucifixion. 11 different recorded appearances in the Scripture. There are probably others because Jesus appeared multiple times to His disciples over a period of 40 days. He appeared to individuals as well as groups as well as one group of over 500 people all in one place at the same time. All of these people saw the resurrected Jesus. And that makes Him, as verse 20 says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now the language here is another strong contrast to the preceding verses. People who die in faith in Jesus do not really die. I don't know if you know that. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when your body stops functioning, you will not really be dead. To quote Winston Churchill, he says, you know, he, he, um, he believed in the resurrection. And so do you know what he had done at his, at his funeral? It was great. Okay? He's a military guy. And so at, at the end of his funeral, he had to play taps. Day is done down the sun, right? And then right after that, single trumpeter. You ever been to a military funeral? Uh, it, it, it gets me every time. See those guys laid to rest. You hear taps play with that single bugler, right? But then right after that, you know what he had played? Revely, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got to get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. It's morning, right? Why? Because Winston knew that he was going to be alive. D.L. Moody said the same thing. He said, one day you will hear that the great evangelist D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? I will be more alive then than I have ever been. Here's the reality. When you die as a believer in Jesus Christ, your body falls asleep. That's the term here, verse 20. Your body falls asleep. I've tried to convince the folks down at the city that I'm renting my tomb. Right? They won't only let me buy a plot, but I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to pay for the whole thing. I'm not going to be there forever. There's going to be a day when that grave will open and my body will rise out of it. So I shouldn't have to pay for this like I'm going to own it for eternity. I'm not. I'm renting this thing. Uh, you, can, uh, you can help me uh, you know, talk to those folks, but, uh, but they haven't, I haven't convinced them yet. But that's the reality, that when you die in Christ, you fall, your body falls asleep. Where does your spirit go? Your spirit goes, according to the Word of God, into God's presence immediately in that moment. So I don't have to wait to stand before God. My spirit immediately dwells with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be face to face with the Lord. What happens to your body? Well, it sleeps in the ground until the great day when Jesus returns. We've been looking at this in 1 Thessalonians where there's an angel that shouts, 
the trumpet blows and Jesus causes all people who believe in Christ to rise from their graves and join Him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there is a day when there will be a resurrection of those who believe in Christ. Your body will awaken and be transformed and in many cases reassembled and you will, uh, and you will have a new body like unto Jesus' glorious body. How, do we, how, how does that work? Well, Jesus is the first fruits. Okay, do you know what the first fruits are? Biblically, first fruits is the first part of your harvest. So you would take the very best of your crops and you would dedicate them to God because they're the first fruits, the best, the first portion of what you have to God. And they're the indicator that there's a much larger harvest coming. There's a much larger harvest coming. So when the Scripture here affirms that Jesus is the first fruits, what does that tell us? That there's a much bigger harvest coming. Who's in it? Look around. <laughs> All right, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ are part of the rest of the harvest that the Lord will make. And so uh, this is a way of indicating Jesus is the first part and we are part of the much bigger part that is yet to come in. And so, so the, verse 20 tells us that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And, and then... Um, and that delivers hope for us for our resurrection. And verses 21 to 23, it tells us how this happens. Okay. How do we get hope for our resurrection? Bottom line is this. The story of Jesus' resurrection is true. And since it's true, that means that sin and death will one day finally end. Sin and death will one day finally end. Verse 21 reminds us that Adam was the forefather of the entire human race. He was the forefather of the entire human race, and when he sinned in the garden by rebelling against God's command, he broke the world. That's the simplest way of explaining it. Everything that you see around you is not the way that God made it to be. And so your relationships are affected with other people. Your relationship with God is affected. Your relationship with the natural world is affected. Anybody notice we had some tornadoes this last week, right? Why do those things happen? Because the world is broken. Because sin now appears in it and it was never supposed to be this way. Why do people get sick? Why do people die? Because sin has broken the world. But one day, that will not be the case. For now, sin, when it came into the world, also brought with it something that was also unnatural to it, which was the concept of death. And death includes both physical death, which is the temporal penalty for sin, as well as permanent separation from God in hell, which is sin's eternal penalty. And the world had never known either one of these things prior to the first sin. Sin and death came into the world through Adam, the first man. So God, in a perfect reversal of these things, brought a resurrection from the dead through a second man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who was the God-man who lived a perfect life and never sinned 
so that he might die as a perfect substitute for for the sins of all humanity and reverse both sin and death and all of its effects. And verse 22 explains this a little more. It says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Everybody who is in Adam, everybody who is descended from Adam, uh, every human being is born a sinner and facing death as a result. But all who are in Christ, that is, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, who has decided to rely on Him for forgiveness of their sins and for new life that comes through Him, will in fact escape from death and be made alive forever. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. All who are in Christ have new life through Him. Verse 23 explains there's an order to this. Christ is first because He is the first fruits of the resurrection. But then, when Christ returns, all the rest of us will be bodily resurrected as well. All the rest of us. Now, what our resurrection bodies look like, I'm not entirely certain. I know there'll be an identity between who we are today and who we are then. I hope to be taller and have all of my hair back. Right? <laughs> um, but, uh, or at least have it, have it relocated to its original spot. Uh, you know, where I started out with it, right? Um, I think I have the same amount. It's just like now in my ears and other places, right? Versus on my head where I want it. But, but in any case, you know, our resur- we will all be resurrected when Christ returns. We will all be bodily resurrected. A human being is a body and a soul. And those two things are never meant to be separated. Death introduces an unnatural separation between our body and our soul. Our body goes into the ground, our our soul goes to be with Jesus. But at the resurrection of the dead, they are reunited. And our redeemed soul joins our transformed body. Jesus spoke about it like this, that when you... um, that that or rather Paul speaks about it like this that what is planted in the ground uh, and what comes up from that are not the same there's an identity between them but they're not the same so for example if how many of you have ever planted a tomato seed right you ever plant tomatoes okay now you look at that little thing and can you imagine what comes out of that right I used to have a really good garden at our former house before we moved. It had this thick, black, amazing dirt. And so I could grow tomatoes that were as tall as me, right? And you could put that little seed in the ground, and that tomato plant would shoot up this high, and we'd get like 50 pounds of tomatoes from the plant. It was amazing, right? Now I get little stubby tomato plants and like four of them in a year, <laughs> right? But, uh, but nonetheless, what goes into the ground and what springs up, there's an identity between them. They're obviously related, but the one has much greater glory than the other. Amen? 
In the same way, your body, when it rises, what went into the ground is weak and fragile and failing and dead. But what comes out will have much greater glory than what went in. What will it be like? I don't know. But what I do know is, is that it will be a body capable of dwelling face to face before the living God for all eternity. And you will not wear out. You will not get wrinkly. You will not uh, have fading eyesight, failing hearing, etc. You will dwell perfectly with the Lord forever. And that's coming. So, so then a lot of people have this question. Okay, sounds great. When? All right? That's verses 24 and 25. When? Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. Uh, so we've seen so far that Jesus was raised, how his resurrection transforms our lives. This is when this will happen. And that is when Christ's kingdom comes. Now, according to verse 24, after our resurrection, Christ will reign in his kingdom until he has defeated and destroyed every one of God's enemies. Explain that a little bit more. This, gets, this, get, this is going to get deep really fast, okay? So get your helmet on uh, because this is good stuff, but it's meaty stuff. Uh, according to Revelation chapter 20, uh, Christ's kingdom, which he will rule on this earth for a thousand years as the world's sole king, will be one of complete peace and one in which evil is not permitted to persist in any form. And so the Bible says in that chapter that Satan himself will be bound for a thousand years to be in prison, unable to operate in any way on the earth, and, uh, and the words rule, authority, and power here are talking about the dark forces of the spiritual realm that currently empower evil on this planet. So every one of those will be defeated. Christ's kingdom, when it comes, brings about the utter defeat of every wicked ruler, human and demonic. Every single one will be put down. Every rule and authority and power. Now, Revelation 20 also says at the end of that thousand-year reign, Satan will be released from the prison he's been confined in for its duration, and he will rally all of the remaining wicked, both demonic and human, for one final cataclysmic battle. And at that battle, every wicked being, both demonic and human, will be immediately defeated, judged, and cast into hell. So when will this happen? It will happen when Christ's kingdom comes and every form of wickedness and evil, every trace of sin will be completely and totally destroyed. By the way, after this, um, the Bible makes it very clear that there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that in that place, there will be no more, see if this list sounds familiar to you, I hope it does. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, 
the curse that currently persists on this earth by which we get thorns and mosquitoes and yellow jackets and diseases and tornadoes and hurricanes and all of those things, all of that will be eliminated. And the scripture says that God himself will dwell with them and be their God and they will be his people and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every trace of wickedness will be defeated and destroyed forever, never to rise again. Why is Easter so important? Because Easter is you will, the first fruits of this big, enormous promise being fulfilled. It's the first sign that God is going to keep His Word and do this. That every bit of evil is one day going to be eliminated from the world. The longer you live, the harder not to become cynical and jaded and depressed about the way that the world is. And just to say, a, a pox on everybody, right? But here's the reality. The world will not always be like this. Jesus is coming. And when He comes, this will be the reality. The lion will lay down with the lamb and the goat, goat with the leopard. And the child will play by the hole of the poisonous snake and they will neither hurt nor destroy in all his holy mountain. The world will be different than the way it is now. And it is because of the resurrection of Jesus that we know these things are going to take place. That he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise you and I to new life in a new world in which righteousness dwells and from which every trace of evil has been eliminated and cast into hell. Verse, uh, verse 26, I love this verse. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, lots of people, I, sometimes you hear this at funerals, I've done a lot of funerals, and sometimes you hear people at a, at a out of a desire to to give comfort to people, say, well, you know, death is just part of life. It's just the way things are. It's just natural. You know, everything dies. It's fine. Right? That isn't what the Scripture says. Not at all. What the Scripture says is death is an enemy. And it yells at us every time that we see something die. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And when we grieve, it is because our soul is screaming at us, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not supposed to happen like this. God put that in our soul to remind us of the truth that it is not the way it's supposed to be and it is not the way it's going to be. Amen? Jesus Christ is the victor over death. And because of that, because of that, the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And we will not die 
ever again. Not ever again. Death itself will be dead. And we will enjoy the everlasting rule of God the Father, which will never end. The point of all these things is simply this, that the resurrection is the most important event that ever happened or ever will happen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that things have begun to be put right again. It's the hinge point of all human history where all of the brokenness and evil that was brought into the world through the fall, into sin, through the Garden of Eden in the beginning, starts moving toward its permanent undoing in the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness in which God's redeemed people dwell with Him face to face forever. You know, if you remember the Garden, you remember this? It says that the, that the people walked with God in, in the Garden in the cool of the day, meaning He wasn't there all the time but he kind of came and went and they would see him periodically. But we will dwell permanently face to face with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Let me remind you of something else. Do you remember how sin came into the world? I read this this morning and it smacked me between the eyes. Came into the world in a garden through a woman who disobeyed God and then who gave the fruit to her husband, and he also willingly, not deceptively, disobeyed God like the woman did, but he willingly chose to disobey God. Who's the first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection? A woman. Where? In a garden. Who did she think he was? The gardener. How did, how did the Garden of Eden come into the world? Scripture says the Lord planted a garden in the east in Eden. Do you think there's anything significant in that fact? I think there is. That Jesus came to a woman who had disobeyed God, Mary Magdalene. And not only set her free prior to his death, but after his resurrection, the first person he saw was her to remind her of the truth of his word. I'm not only the gardener, I'm the king. The one who has been raised from the dead. The one who gives new life, not just to my own son, but to all people who put their faith in Him. God has transformed the world because Jesus is alive and not dead. Not only is the penalty for my sins permanently canceled out, I will also one day possess the same kind of life He does. When we see Him, we will be like Him. I will rise from the grave to a new life that will never end. And this eternal life of ours will mean the end of all of the results of, of the fall. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more curse on the earth, no more toil, no more earning your bread from the sweat of your face, no more fractured human relationships with God, no more fractured human relationships uh, with one another. There will be no more thorns or disease or disaster. Every 
boot of every warrior, every uniform spattered with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Every weapon of war will be made into a farm implement because warfare will end. Every person will dwell in peace. Every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and no one will make us afraid anymore. Amen? The old way of life that we live in now will perish forever because it has been swallowed up by Jesus' victory over sin and death. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And we shall reign with Him forever and ever. Amen? We sang that. That's true. We didn't make that up. Jesus proclaimed this truth to us in His resurrection from the grave. And we will reign with Him forever and ever. Amen. He is risen. You can do better than that. He is risen. Yeah. <laughs> he is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we proclaim that Christ has risen from the grave. Against everything that experience, against everything that we know from the world, that the dead do not rise because death is permanent. Father, we proclaim that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave because He is the Son of God, the victor over death who reverses the curse, ends sin, and puts death to death. Father, we celebrate these things. We are excited by them. We are looking forward to the day when Jesus Christ comes back for us and the day that we reign with You face to face. Father, we don't know what, what it will even be like to see You face to face, but we know it will be glorious. And we wait for that day with eagerness and expectation. We pray that You will empower us as we go out by Your Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news that Christ Jesus is the Savior who has risen from the dead, who gives new life to all who follow Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah!